Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 39 for Monday, November 16th, 2015. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in los gatos california paul kent how you doing mr kent good man got back in the saddle played a couple gigs last week and life is good that is good paul uh i want to make sure everybody knows we have a guest with us tonight welcome mr mark linsenmeyer how you doing mark hey i'm here in madison wisconsin yay mark how goes it in madison this evening mark uh, it is wonderful. It's been uh, unseasonably warm. Well, that's that's uh, that's <laughs> splendid. So everyone should know that uh, Mark and we, your name is is should be familiar to at least people who have listened to most episodes of this show because you're the one who wrote uh, "Woe Is Me," which is the song that you just heard at least a snippet of as our intro. So thank uh, you. yes, yeah, thank you for yes. letting us use that. I thought it might be a good way of introducing some of the themes of the discussion to give a brief history of the track, or rather the uh, the the uh, years of events that led into the track. Does that sound okay? It does. Yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't know most of this story, so that's even better. Well, right, we actually so, started with thinking that Dave was playing drums on that track. Well, that's that's part of the the, the thing. So it, if I had to give a title to this episode, if I'm going to be so presumptuous, it would be, uh, you know, the, the original band factor or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, what, what happens? Cause you guys are talk very, uh, refreshingly, in a refreshingly mature way about how to run a band as an adult, uh, particularly a cover band. Um, but really just something that is aware of the capitalist environment that we are in, right? You want, want to actually produce a product that people, will want to purchase. And that means in a live situation that you're playing things that they know that you've talked about originals as being vanity tunes, which is a, a, a hard thing for somebody who writes songs to hear. That's actually a uh, hard thing for, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I'm, I, 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 I certainly in fling, we play uh, originals. In fact, we did one of our fling fests on Saturday night and, uh, the original songs that we played in the set, which didn't make up a significant chunk of it. We may- played maybe three or four originals out of uh, maybe 17 or 18 tunes. And uh, they definitely got a better response than, than the covers, uh, which is, which was interesting, but we can get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, it is a, uh, it's very, it's been very cool to hear your, your, both of your perspectives on the endeavor of why you do the thing you do that you, they're really passionate about it, despite not having the bait of here's my ego, uh, through an original thing that I've written up on, on a large screen, uh, that you can, you know, that it's, it feels expressive to do a cover band. I don't know. A lot of the people that I've done that I've, that I know who are in cover bands or have done that. It's kind of strictly a money thing or, you know, I just don't I don't generally hear the passion that I have heard out of Paul on this podcast for that. So I think that's awesome. Interesting. Uh, All right. So, Mark, let me just kind of back up so we can get to ground zero here. You do not play in a cover band now and you have not ever or it's just been a really long time. 
Uh, never a purely cover band. No, I, I have nothing against covers and all the original bands that I've uh, been in after they've been around a while, especially if we try to then go play three hour gigs, like we add a lot of covers and, but usually the, the criterion for adding covers is what is easy? What, what do we know? Well, what, what can we put together without maybe even everybody in the band hasn't even heard the tune, but like if right. it's an easy enough tune and the, the person who's playing rhythm guitar and singing knows it, then uh-huh. It's is golden. <laughs> Put it in there. Your, People know your life as a performing musician. Your life as a performing musician has, by and large, been performing your original music. Yes. Yeah, so I I started writing music uh, when I was you know, fourteen or fifteen, and would put things together like for the school variety show. Like I, I didn't want to just be in a band. I wanted to like have my song out there. That was that was the goal from from day one. Um, and I don't mind, you know, not being this, this I, I don't mind sharing the spotlight with other singer songwriters or, uh, you know, covers are fun. Uh, but when I, when it's come down to like, what's more important to me to, to be giving the time to, I almost, I almost see it as like doing something with my life. That is, that is like, I'm, I, I like to, time has gone by and I look and I see, wow, I've, I've got like a bunch of albums here that I've made. So I feel like I did something with that year. Whereas sure. if it was just like some gigs that I have fond memories of, then it's like, Oh, it's gone with the wind. Um, so gigs have always been a little bit secondary. Um, although it's weird to say that because at, uh, you know, to, to recording, because I'm, I really like being in a group and I like, especially having the energy of other people to push me to get stuff done. So, uh, the, the recording story that was part of my, my, way of creeping up to why Dave might've thought he played on that song is because so many of the bands that I've had, like I will get a live unit together. We will learn some songs. Uh, and then maybe we'll finish the album with the band intact. Maybe people will start dropping off before we get everything down. And so I'll sort of be playing catch up and, uh, you know, either songs will get pushed to the next project or more likely it's just, you know, I'm finding a fill in drummer or a fill in bass player or whatever to, to finish these songs. So almost all of my, my band albums uh, with a few notable exceptions, um, the, the most notable being that I just you know got off a six year. Uh, uh, the band was in Madison here was called new people from 2006 to 2013. So that's a pretty damn long stretch for me for a band. And we put out uh three CDs where every, everybody was still in the band when the CD came out. <laughs> That's mm. wow. So, so you had the same lineup for six years. Uh, no, it was, well, in that case it was because it was simple. It was me and another singer songwriter. Okay. And then, uh, it was just a three piece for the most of the time. So we did switch drummers after the first album Had the same drummer for the, the, the two albums after that, actually then, then that drummer moved out of town. We had gotten a whole, new five piece lineup together with an, a new drummer, a second guitarist, a keyboardist, um, you know, played one gig. And then, uh, at the end of 2013 and then, uh, the other singer songwriter decided he did not have time for the project anymore. So, that was, uh, so yeah, you're right. Uh, that That's how we met because, I, and I, I it might've been, well, I think it was probably on, you know, comp or, uh, Austin dot music, a news group, right. Um, uh, uh, I probably think, uh, yeah. yeah and you were looking for a drummer to help you finish some tracks for the album that came out with that song on it 
Uh, but right, evidently right. it wasn't one of those tracks. That wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, that one was that one was done already with a fill in. So, OK, the, the, the back history is I started uh, my my sort of professional band career in as professional in quotes here uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where I, I went to undergrad. And that was another dual singer songwriter thing. So the guy, Steve Petrinko, uh, he's a guy that I'm still in touch with now and I will still send tracks for him to play drums on. So that was one. Uh, when I, when I was, uh, you know, graduated and was going to grad school, I moved away from, uh, Austin or from Ann Arbor down to Austin, uh, scrambled, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to make this the shift. I guess the two sort of models of original band that I wanted us to discuss a little bit here is the thing I had in college was, you know, it was me and another singer songwriter. And then the other guys that joined were also songwriters of various stripes, although we kind of kind of suppress them a little bit. Like, okay. like me and me and Steve, like it's our band, it's our baby. So you're, you joined a year later, so we won't play as many of your songs, but it was, <laughs> it was fundamentally everybody was a, a songwriter, of some stripe and it was kind of anything goes like Beatles white album was kind of our favorite thing, I think. Got it. Uh, so it was really like, you know, let's do a funk tune. Let's do a classic rock tune. Let's pull out a harmonica for thing. Let's switch instruments a lot. Um, I mostly played bass. That's where I started on. That's what I usually play when I'm, when somebody else is singing, at least. Um, I played upright bass in orchestras growing up. And, uh, but then, uh, I was, I was, uh, also pursuing this classical guitar solo thing. So in, in addition to our four hours worth of, 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 of released music that uh, my college band did. I did another hour, another, so I did a solo album. Um, so it kind of confused people having so many styles and different singers. So when I, when I came to Austin, I was, I was determined, like, I'm going to have a sound. I'm going to be marketable. Yeah. So it was kind of based on my solo thing. Like, how can I, you know, I play classical guitar, sort of, sort of beat on it, a little bit of a punk thing on a classical guitar, uh, sort of violent femmes, sort of, uh, and say, so idea, you know, can I just get a rhythm section to play behind that? And so that was what the fake Johnson trio was. That was my 1995 band that I started. And what was me was actually written for that, for the fake Johnson trio EP. Uh, then, which is, uh, which is available online somewhere. And we'll, we'll, I'll find a link to it and, and put it out there. <laughs> that, that one, I don't know if, I don't think I have that, that EP in, <laughs> posted in full. Okay. Uh, it I have a lot of cassette copies. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, cassette copies of it lying around still. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then uh, uh, after, you know, immediately after recording that thing, both the drummer and bassist quit. And uh, so going into my second year in, in Austin, I was down, I was back to myself again. Well, I went back to Ann Arbor and there was another band that was sort of friends with our band. Uh, uh, their name was Violet Wine at the time. And they decided they were all going to move to Austin together. And I convinced them all to join, to be my backing band. Like they're going to have their own thing too, but they were also going to be in the fake Johnson trio. So the fake Johnson trio had five people for a good six months after they moved down. And, and so one of the things, you know, I guess, I guess I wanted to throw out to you guys, what your experiences were with this is uh, what do you think about picking up musicians as a package deal? <laughs> Cause in this case, it didn't work out that well. Like there was one guy of the five that of, uh, of the four that really wanted to play with me and the rest were kind of along for the ride and, you know, basically fell off 
in the six months to a year after they came to Austin, you know, by the end of that, it was just me and the, the lead guitarist. And we were, you know, had a, had a different drummer at that point. And then I actually even switched back to bass so we could go down to a trio. Uh, so it was that band, the fake Johnson trio that had become, uh, that was the album that had, what was me on it. So we were, we were finishing that we had already done, uh, so the original, the, the bass line on that was written by the original fake Johnson trio bass player, Shane Walker, this guy that I just played with for a short time. Um, but it was actually played by Lee Abramson, who's one of the guys who came down from Ann Arbor with me. The lead guitar on that was Errol Siegel, who came down from Ann Arbor with me. By that point, we didn't have a drummer. So I sent it and several other things on an ADAT tape up to Steve, my, my friend who is still in Ann Arbor. And he just put that down unsupervised. So he came up with that drum part himself. Got it. Okay, because um, we played that song live a bunch. We did, of we course. did. So, yeah. so I I managed to to uh, somehow convince you guys. So, so when that as that band broke up, uh, I think I had added at least the lead guitarist for that we played with, uh, Jamie uh, Nichols, maybe six months before you you ju- jumped on. I and thought so Jamie we, came after me. No, no, because oh. we have the the. Uh, so I managed to, you know, that, that band originally was, was, uh, the fake Johnson trio. I released that album as Mark Lint and the fake Johnson trio. Right. To cross and over the two yes, together. Yes. Right. So we were Mark Lint and the fake, which you're the only band live that ever let me call it Mark Lint and the something like that. Let me have that oh. ego trip. <laughs> Every other thing. It's like, you know, the, the new people or whatever. Oh no! See, I I never I I just thought that sounded good. It, I you know I never I never took offense at being a member of the fake. That was uh, well. We, that was we, we went we went through different different uh, options of Mark Lint and the the imaginary band or Mark Lint's right. good tie. Was I thought was was one that was okay. Uh, and I managed to convince you guys to uh, so you know we added Jamie and actually we had one gig as Mark Lint and the Fake with a different bass player and a different drummer before. It, you guys jumped on and okay. then uh, Sam Ray, the final piece of our, of our uh, Mark Linton, the fake actually was a latter day member of the fake Johnson trio. So he was the only guy that sort of transitioned over, but he had been fired in the meantime, like Errol didn't. Want. Oh, I didn't <laughs> when realize we went down to Sam, a trio. Uh, now, Sam Ray, uh, for anybody who's seen the movie office space, Sam Ray appears in that movie. <laughs> we're, hey, listen, we're gonna, we're all over the map already. So um, yeah, Sam appears in that movie as the tow truck driver. So, Oops. Yes, he 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 was very in touch with the the movie scene in Austin, yeah. and he's a very big wrestler looking, distinctive guy. So he, uh, yeah, I believe Idiocracy. He was also in. He, okay, a, a few yeah. other. Well, those are both Mike Judge things. So right. I, he had a right he had yeah, a connection guess, with that. He had an in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, so that's, that's how, a, that's, that's how woe is me <laughs> came together. I I did find the entire Google is your friend. Uh, or perhaps your enemy. I, I did find the entire album available, streamable online. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes un, un, yes. until such time as Mark takes it down. So, <laughs> well, that, that's all of my old stuff. I, I'm sentimentally attached to people. <laughs> Nobody else wants anything to do with it necessarily, but even the, the, the four, four albums of uh, not very well recorded stuff I did in college, I still have, you know, uh, my solo album, I'm still working to remaster from that period. I, like I don't, I don't let go of anything or, you know, some of the songs we played together were, were, uh, you know, things that were redone from that time or. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I, I feel like I, I didn't, uh, you, I don't know that at the time you ever articulated your goal was to, uh, 
have a, a distinctive sound, but definitely that, that album has, I mean, I, to me, it, it has a very distinctive sound and, and, and all the songs fit together and, and all of that good stuff. So I, I, there's a, there's a couple of things though, that I want to kind of narrow down uh, for you. It, you, you've talked about it, how you've written songs and you've played things and but primarily you're a guitar player. I just want to nail down what instruments you actually play. Right. So you're, you, you're primarily a guitar player, but you've played, I, I, I'd say primarily I'm a bass player. That's actually what I did in new people for the last bunch of years. But yeah, I did go for a stretch and probably the next band again, I, I did rhythm guitar, did this classical guitar thing. Um, and actually have just in the last few years recording, started to use a pick on things like uh-huh. actually picked up a steel string instead of just the classical, just classical is what I learned on. It's my sure. dad was a folk singer. That's what he had around the, uh, around the house. Um, so that's what I would write songs on originally. And I just, I love the tone of it, but it, it's not wonderful as a live instrument. Like it was always right. when we played together uh, and subsequently when I've used that guitar, I br- pretty much bring around a, a piece of a PA like I run the guitar through an EQ and a compressor uh, out of a, a PA speaker um, and, a, and a, a tube preamp because when I was just running it into the PA, like that's what you're supposed to do, run it into the house PA. Uh, and it just always sounded like crap and I could never hear enough of it or it would feedback or something. So I had to do this thing, uh, you know, with a custom made sound hole cover made out of a, a coaster, a <laughs> rubber <Wow>. coaster. <laughs> Paul, you're you're a guitar guy, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I've never used a rubber coaster though, so that's a new one for me. <laughs> you you play steel string live though? Uh, I will. Music? Yeah, so I one of the bands I have is a big sixteen piece Americana band. Yep, yep. And I and um, I have a few different steel strings that I play, uh, but I've had pretty good luck with. Um, with uh, um, some of these DI boxes that can tone out, you know, um, mm. uh, feedback frequencies and that type of thing. I did have a couple other questions for you though. So sure. I, you, you started here and it's really interesting to me. You have a perspective that is um, you and I have very different perspectives. So you were saying you thought you found it interesting. Some of my perspectives on things, you being someone who's never really focused on cover. So I'm going to ask you a, a moderately loaded question. So I play in a band with some guys who also play original music and um, there is a sphere of sensitivity um, about uh, legitimacy of covers, right? So guys who are the, you know, kind of weekend warrior types like me, you know, covers, you know, work for me. I, I actually going to have a couple of questions for you at the end of, at the end of the conversation about writing originals because I'm fascinated by all that, but there's a little bit of an inferiority complex in that when you play with guys who are very, very serious about covers and they're creating original art, they're a dynamic exists. Have you ever experienced this before where you had guys in groups that you had, and whether it was because they were making more money playing covers or they just really liked playing covers, have you ever experienced this kind of like hierarchy of art about what you do versus what uh, what a cover artist does? Well, I mean, that plays exactly to the uh, just the plight of, you know, I thought this would be interesting, even if most of your audience is is, is cover band people or, or people that are just playing bands, that if you want to play an original band, you at least will have to deal with somebody like me uh, that, you know, that is going to be touchy about, uh, uh, you know, what exactly they're going to play in a way that, uh, you know, maybe other people in their cover band, they're not used to, I, I don't know. You seem very picky about exactly what goes in the set. Um, I, you know, I'm very particular about covers in terms of, I, 
I, I'm probably much more lax about it now, but at least at the time I was playing with, with Dave, like it had to be something that really feels good out of my mouth that I don't, that, you know, I don't feel like a, I just don't feel like a fraud saying. So like, you know, I could, I could be it, do it over the top. I could do feel like making love, but it like, it would have to be like a goofy version of that song. Like it could not be a serious attempt. Like it would be insulting to the people that you've talked about that really like that song. Yeah. Uh, Let me, let me back up on this. So what I think you're saying is in coming from a place where you're emoting original material and your perspective is on emoting original material, the way you identify with covers is you do have a bar that you got to, if you're going to really deliver it, you got to feel that cover. You're not just going to play any cover. And if you're being asked to play any cover, um, you're going to have to find some way to emote it that is going to work for you either that you're going to say, this isn't how I feel about something. So I'm going to take it over the top. That, that's kind of what I hear you saying. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I'm trying to, we, we, uh, somebody in the fake Johnson trio suggested we do uh, what's going on. The Marvin Gaye song. And at the time, you know, I just, or maybe it was mercy, mercy, mercy. I forget what it was, uh, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around. Like it just felt too fake trying to sing that myself. Mm. Like I'm not, a, I'm not a black guy. I'm not a, I don't have that background where that song was coming from and the serious social commentary that is, is in what's going on. Like I just, it was too, whereas I did do a Zappa song uh, that that the drummer really wanted to do because he was a Vinnie, Vinnie Caliuta worshiper kind of guy. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I, whenever possible, I would try to, to please the guys. Uh, uh, okay, so here's the thing. And just in dealing with people who are, it's it's much simpler in a way if, if uh, to deal with only other, if you're a songwriter, deal with only other songwriters in a band because then you have this common like, uh, I a band I got into recently. You might want to look up if you don't know them. Is, is Sloan? Uh, oh, do you, they're, they're I just, from Canada. I just saw them a year ago, or really earlier this year. Yeah, so yeah. They're, they're from Canada. They're a power pop band. Like they started out as uh, you know in the as as you know Pearl Jam contemporaries doing Nirvana sort of stuff. Uh, that's how they got signed originally. That's how they got famous originally. And it was mostly one guy doing the singer doing the singer songwriter thing. But he he figured out that in order to keep the rest of the band he had to like let them grow into their full singer songwriter glory. So even though this one guy, Chris Murphy probably has a better voice than the other guys. Um, the way they, you know, they've, they've existed with the same four person lineup now since 1991 to the present. And the only reason the way they could do that is to actually just completely split everything money wise. And for many of the albums uh, in terms of number of songs by the songwriter, right down the middle four ways, yeah. which like how, that's that's pretty incredible to maybe it's just a matter of being old enough. Like I don't write nearly as many songs now. So if I was in a situation where I had to be one of four songwriters, it looks, you know, if, if I had the advantages of, of uh, being able to put out a professional album and run a label and do all these sorts of things with my, with my friends, with my bandmates, I would have no problem sort of submerging my ego in that way. Um, but it's hard to take, you know, that's, that's always been a, a hard thing when I'm auditioning a new person or, you know, if this person wants to be, wants to contribute songs, then like, not only do I like it, which in some ways my, I feel like my standards are, are pretty low in terms of like, just make the lyrics, not cliches. Like that's almost the whole, that's almost all I ask, <laughs> but what people consider a cliche obviously is going to be different from person to person. And I've learned from experience. You can't tell another songwriter that you think <laughs> their lyrics are chock full of cliches. They don't take that. Well, they, 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 
like you're the most arrogant person I've ever met. I can't believe. It. But but you have to almost- understand. I got to call BS foul here. Um, I, I I'm not a songwriter. Okay, I have written one song. Uh, it actually did fairly well on the college charts. Maybe I should have written more. But um, but. I, I, I am not a songwriter. I don't fancy myself that I love working with songwriters because I, I really, you know, I like to pay attention to the song and I like to like to work to craft a drum part that really supports the song and that sort of thing. But I'm not a songwriter. However, uh, Mark is potentially one of the most intimidating people you can be around in a creative <laughs> environment because he is so good at the things that he's good at. And he's not necessarily good at everything. I, I feel like I'm a better drummer than he is, which is uh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> right. But um, I, I almost have, any instrument. That's why I'm so bad. Like if somebody else is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a passable bass player. I can get away with this stuff. But if, if, if I really am splitting the singer songwriter thing, then like, what am I doing for half the time? Like I can harmonize well. Yeah, but like yeah, well, that's, I, I'm almost useless. In a, I'm yeah. not a good. I remember not recording. A you would hire. I remember recording harmonies once, and he, I was. Uh, it was a traditional kind of setup where I was hearing the existing track in headphones, and then I was singing in the room. But there was no obviously no speakers in the room, so that the vocal that I was singing was isolated. And Mark was sitting on the floor in the same room in which I was singing. It was somebody's like studio slash house kind of thing. And uh, Mark's sitting on the floor reading the paper while I'm singing these harmonies and I sing my part and I pull off the headphones. And before I could even listen back and Mark's like, you know, just like head in the paper. He's like, so the third note was a little flat. I'm like, what? And and the fifth note you sang was in tune, but it's the wrong note. you got to move that. You know, that's not going to fit with the other harmonies. And it's like, what are you, Brian Wilson? What's going on here? This sucks. But it did inspire me to, to become a much more aware harmony singer. And, and that has served me well. But it was one of those things like, how do you even like what? <laughs> So very intimidating. Well, that's where that's where I started. Like I was in church choir, like junior choir. Like I learned to harmonize like that. And so that's actually the thing that I love most, like why I want to have another singer songwriter in the band, because I want to harmonize with them. Like it's just lame to me to sing, to do solo gigs, really, for that reason. I just I love vocal harmonies too much. Yeah. Um, no, well, and and of course, I mean, we shared that, and and we actually had some yeah. great harmony moments. Uh, well, we yeah, I mean, I, I got to say, so the, the the recurring problem in terms of dealing, and this is to get back to to Paul's question, um, <laughs> is I like you know I like to be the worst in, player in the band, so I like to get professionals or former professionals or semi professionals or whatever people who are really freaking good who can just like amaze you. And Dave came in and could do that on drums and. Uh, you know, we had a lead guitarist also, uh, Jamie, that was just phenomenal. Um, just always sounded like he was playing with a slide, even though he wasn't playing with a slide. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> like one of those country, he, that. Yeah. he didn't use a pick. He played everything with his bare fingers and was just so fast and energetic and, uh, you know, and not humble. Pers- yes. Yes. Anyway, that, that, that was a wonderful dynamic. You know, yeah. there was a reason that, that we got. So after the Mark Linton and the, and the fake Johnson trio album, which was, you know, patched together. And I ended up doing some of the bass myself and had four different drummers on it. Uh, you know, the Mark Lint and the fake album, which is also online. Uh, I'll get it on Spotify and that stuff eventually, because it is good enough. I think, uh, was 18 songs of, of us, of us, our core thing playing at least all the, the, the main tracks all live. 
you know, maybe we, maybe we fixed a couple things in the mix or, you know, replaced some of the lead guitars, actually replaced most of the lead guitars and definitely did all the vocals after the fact and all the, uh, um, you know, had some friends come in and play keyboards and I added some horns on some things and some kazoos on, on a song. Uh, uh, but that, yeah, I mean, that, that was a band. That was like yeah. one of the most band like band experiences I've ever had. Like almost every, but we did it pretty fast. We did it the whole thing in one summer. Um, and, uh, yeah, so maybe there wasn't enough time for us to, to get disillusioned and, and, uh, and everybody drop off, but it seemed like everybody had a really good attitude in that. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I, guess I, user. I had uh, my Lisa and I had our daughter shortly after that band yeah. kind of petered out. And um, I guess well, we I, I was I was set to move that. away. That's I was set to move was. away. Yeah. Right. So like I, there, we knew that, you know, a, a, a year after uh, we recorded the, you know, we recorded a, a summer fall 99 and yeah. i knew that in may 2000 i was going to be gone right so there wasn't a lot of so yeah we most of the getting together and doing stuff was uh recording vocals and stuff that you didn't have to be at so so yeah so I, you might have felt like you were not part of the completion of the album and in fact i didn't get it completely mixed until 2002 i remember that yeah yeah well so that's that's what happens when projects that you're all jazzed about when everybody quits except you then it's just like well it's me and some tracks and in fact i live in a different city than this band happened in so nobody really cares if i finish this album or not <laughs> so, so i I'm, I'm curious i mean you know we um we've we've talked a little bit about this and you've you've made it clear that you enjoy collaborating with other people you don't just want to be you know mark lint or mark linsenmeyer however you want to name yourself at, at that point in time uh writing songs and recording songs all by yourself how important is it to you to then take those songs and play them in front of a crowd? So it's, you know, I'm always kind of trying something different. And I think a lot has to do with what time of life you're at that around the time we were playing together, or maybe slightly before that in, in our late twenties is when a lot of people that I knew that were in the game sort of started to get nervous and maybe assholeish about it that like either I'm going to make it, or I'm going to fail. Like, this is the time. Like, pretty soon, we're going to have kids. We're going to not be able to do this as much. And so, you know, there was some some pretty hard pushing, you know, maybe, maybe for the most part before, <laughs> before you got involved. Uh, but in terms of, you know, even while it, it, that band, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to find us a manager. Um, and, you know, we, we really had the goal, at least, of we want to play out every weekend every other week it never it never got to that point like you know i was just not i've been crippled since i started uh with just not being the guy who should be booking shows <laughs> and i'm always like very upfront about that with with new people that i play with like and and now that there's email now it doesn't really matter i could probably do some do things differently and i have in the last bands but uh you know, so at that point I was really trying to play uh, all the time. And then when I, when I came to Madison, when I moved here in 2000, like I had all cylinders going on there, even though right. I did have a newborn at that point, but I was determined, like I was going to get a really good band fast and it kind of, you know, it took me a year to get it going, but, uh, we had this, it, it worked and it was the same, uh, kind of chemistry and feel, uh, uh, and, and actually did find a manager and we're trying to play out at least every week, every other week. Um, by then I did have this, the, 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 the sentiment that I would 
echo to, to all new players. Like we want to make this a sustainable lifestyle. Like we don't want to play. We don't want to practice four nights a week because nobody is going to do that for any length of time without right. major well, we, reward coming your way. We played a lot of gigs together. I, I remember, and I was actually pulling up set lists of them because I save everything and, uh, and even have some here just it, it, when you were talking about covers and that sort of thing. And we actually, I remember specifically working on Elvis Presley's suspicious minds. Oh yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, we, that's not a song we just threw together with a, you know, quick phone call before the gig. That was one we, you know, we really rehearsed and, worked out vocals and, and, uh, and actually had some, some good fun with. So it was on our, our, our live demo. Yeah, it was. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That we recorded in some, what clothing store or something. I, it was a skate, a skate shop. Yeah. That's what it was. yeah <laughs> we that's recorded right. a whole set that became our demo. That was, <laughs> um, uh, it, it, so Paul, do you have a question? I've been asking Mark some questions here. Do you have, yeah, just, um, what what is the most successful song that you've had? What what is the what are the big successes you've had in your career? I I don't even know how to answer that. So I it, I guess to continue, I consider myself uh, business wise uh, just a failure. <laughs> like like when I was playing in Austin w- with Dave and a little bit uh, in my first band here, Madison Lint. I named I got I gave it another Lint name. Um, you know the, the those were doing pretty well or playing playing uh, uh, with some consistency. But then, uh, then our actually the the lead guitarist who was a former pro, he was about ten years older than me, and the manager both kind of quit the business in the same week. So that was like, <laughs> that was kind of. A, and at that point, we were using a different drummer and a different bass player for almost every gig. Like we were really treating it professionally. Like okay, we have this gig at a golf course. And it's a three hour gig, and you know we and we'll pay somebody a hundred bucks to do it who, which of the four drummers in town that now knows our set can, can make it that night. Um, and that's, I, that's a pretty grim way to do it. Frankly, I, I, I would so much prefer having somebody like Dave on my team who actually feels devoted to it. And, you know, I guess it, whether or not you consider yourself a songwriter, like you gotta be pretty damn musical to come up with good parts. Sure. Sure. Like there's so many drummers that just don't know how to do that. Like that don't. And I, th- I found drummers in particular, like, what's great about Dave is that he sings and that he plays keyboards and has a general musical sense that so many people, if they're just drummers, like then it's like they're athletes and it's just, it's a, it's a totally different mindset. Like they, 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 a lot of drummers I've had, well, yeah, you guys are familiar with it. They overplay. <laughs> they, yeah. They're sort of, they like Vinnie Caliuda. They really like want to like see how many hard time signatures they can put into something like not a lot of connection with the rest of the musical picture. It's more just like, what can I do? That's really uh, fancy. And then likewise, it seems, you know, just like somebody who's into soccer or something, maybe they'll decide, Oh, well, I'm just not going to do that this season. Whereas like somebody who's actually really a musician can't do that. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Like, so I, I haven't had a, I I've at least, even if I haven't been playing out that much. So I, I guess so I took two years off or a year and a half off after Madison Lynn dissolved 2004. Uh, and then it was really only, I kind of considered myself retired at that point. And so were you, uh, not, you know, was, were you not writing songs during that period of time? I wrote some songs, okay. but it was, it was sporadic. It, you know, it's always sporadic at this point. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't been since I was in college really where I would just like write a thing every week. Like right. it's now well, I remember you had a pretty creative period. Uh, when we knew each other, I mean, it, I, I remember a lot of days where I'd get home from, you know, running calls and, and doing whatever work I was doing and get a call from you. And you'd say, can you come over? I, I wrote this new song and I need a drum part laid down like now. 
And it was like, yeah, well, that's, and it's, and it's so motivating to have a group that is excited about what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I only started new people just because I was hanging out, uh, with this guy, Matt, who was just a friend of mine from work, uh, was not to my knowledge, you know, he had auditioned for Madison Lint as a guitarist, uh, but he wasn't a songwriter. He wasn't a singer that I knew of. And it was only because I was kind of at that point, like, I just got to play with something. So I'll just audition for things on bass. And he was in another band and I said, I want to come and play. And they were looking for a bass player. And I, and I said, I want to come do that. And he was like, you're not going to be happy with that. There's no way you're going to stand a week being like a sideman bass player. Uh, when you know that in a band that already has a singer that doesn't play an instrument and runs around the stage being a singer. I remember um, though, you and I, I had forgotten about this and maybe you did too, but, but probably not. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Christopher, right. You and I backed him up in his country band. For a few gigs. Yeah, for I, a few I, gigs. Yeah. I got out of that pretty quick, but that was, that was a guy. Well, yeah, he was the lead singer for a guy for the drummer for my band before you were in it for okay. Brian bro. Uh, uh, and then he was one of my only studio clients that I played uh, around with I'm my kidding, you know, shitty a track, a dat Mackie board setup uh, with a one reverb effect unit. Um, but I got, you know, he paid me 12 bucks an hour or whatever it was to record his album. Um, and so, yeah, I knew all of his songs and, and liked him. And so uh, it was kind of fun doing that. I know that he, uh, well, you can look him up, Kevin Christopher, Kevin Brown. He, he uh, went on and did some, uh, bigger things in Austin after we left. I believe. Oh, he did. I didn't realize that. Oh, I'll have to, I'll look him up for sure. All right, Mark. So I have, okay. uh, with the time we have left, I have a, a really interesting question for you. And Dave's going to be hearing this for the first time. I actually have a building and driving curiosity about, about writing some songs and seeing if I can record uh, something of my own. I have a sound in my head. I have some themes in my head. I have a lot of paralysis about moving forward. And so it was interesting when you were saying, oh, just don't write cliches. So I actually am like, man, I don't want to write anything, you know, that, that doesn't wow people. And, you know, like I can't write a simple little song that just sounds nice and has a hook. I'm paralyzed because if it's not something that's really going to move people, it's not good enough in my head or it'll, I might embarrass myself. What would you, what would you advise for someone who can play, but, uh, but is daunted by the task of songwriting? Well, first the cliche part for me is just lyrics cliches. And frankly, that's just an idiosyncrasy because nobody in a live room is going to pay a damn bit of difference. They're probably not going to hear it. If your sound is too shitty. No, I want to record an album. I want to, I want to record an album. Uh, by all means, just, just go ahead and, and do it. Just put some stuff down. Like probably the first few songs, you know, might be terrible, but I, I don't know. It's been so long. I know my first few songs were terrible, but I can't separate that out from my being, you know, 14, 15 years old. So like I have a whole batch of awful songs, many of which I still cherish and you can find on the internet now, but they're still not things that I would ever play live now. Um, yeah, I just I, I think you you can't censor yourself when you're when you're writing and when you're recording stuff. It's just a matter of what you want to do with it beyond that. Like maybe this recording doesn't make it on the album or maybe you want to redo it with different lyrics or even get somebody else to sing it. Or, you know, maybe it becomes a, a foundation for a different song completely. Um, if it's something that's really meaningful, like like, you know, less so now that I'm happily married and. <laughs> And not miserable all the time, but certainly when I was younger, like 
most of the songs were like, this is a personal message that has to be out there in more or less its current form. And so I felt pretty damn attached for things. And, you know, you've talked about, uh, you know, what works on stage and how, you know, if you you play something in front of an audience a couple of times, if it doesn't go over, you just don't do it anymore. Like I could do that now with originals because I have so many and, and I, and I have no compunction at all, you know, from the time of fake Johnson trio of like, choosing among the various styles that I like to try to do something that will go over that will, that will make a coherent band image. So the thing after, you know, with the band with Dave was that, well, uh, the power pop thing that I had in fake Johnson trio wasn't working live as well as would be nice. Um, so let's play something more Texan. So, so we added funk and we added, uh, that, that pseudo country stuff. You know, we actually played a country bar anyway. So you know, that was, I have no problem with sort of selling out in that sense, but that's all about just choosing among the things that you write. And that just means that you have to, if you're interested in writing, just write a bunch of things. And then probably among those, there will be something that's going to be exactly like, this is going to fit exactly in my set. And just like Dave said, even though, you know, maybe you're playing for a cover band audience, uh, you know, you're going to be able to put that, that one vanity thing, that one thing that means something to you. And it's going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, at least you could try it. Got it. Well, let, let me, let me give a little more text to this. So Dave, I don't know if you're aware that I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Wait a minute. <laughs> We're all You've... aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> so again, you know, I hold up things like lyrically, uh, Born to run. You'll have no problem for avoiding cliches. You'll probably, if you like Springsteen so much, you'll just be sickened. You won't let yourself write. Like well, it's not that's just the avoiding is. cliches. It's more like, to me, that's the bar. You know, write something that conjures up this incredible mm-hmm. imagery. You know, something that, you know, paints these mind pictures. That uh, is the bar that if I don't, if I don't approach that, it's not good enough. It, it'll, I'll embarrass myself if I just do like to write a simple song about taking a dog for a walk or something like that. Um, you, you know, so that, that's the paralysis I have is that, uh, you know, the listen. greatest songs that I love, the songs that are really, uh, you know, that, that stay with me for a lifetime, those songs create a bar that make it very intimidating to get into songwriting. One of my favorite Mark Lint or Mark Meyer songs, I forget which the band was called at the time was called no relief. Great tune, uh, had uh, great lyrics. You'd never know that it was written about Mark's dog's anal cyst. But in fact, that's that's what it was written about. So I think you're okay, Paul. I think you're going to be all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I really think that the the sort of the perfect is the enemy of the good thing. Uh, You can't, I gotta say, most of my songs I'm embarrassed about in some way. Like, because when you're, when I'm writing lyrics or something, I kind of have to let go in a certain way. And I, you know, I can try to go back and fix, like, I usually write a few too many lyrics and then try to cut them down or I'll go back through and just change some lines from a a verse or something. But, you know, a a lot of it, like, well, that's just the way the song turned out. Like you you can't really control it. It's just, I don't know, but all all my stuff is based on humming. (laughs) basically humming and then just like sitting down and just letting words flow out and trying to, maybe I even write them like while I'm listening to another song and I'm kind of writing it to the pattern of that other song. And so then I have to like come up with different chords so that it doesn't sound like that different song in the first place. Um, but yeah, it all, it all, I, I think if I, 
I just, I, I, I'm very familiar with that in lots of different areas of creative endeavor that at least for me, I, I really just need to, to get in and, and let my inhibitions down a little bit and get some stuff out there. And there's just no place in that you can, after the fact say, okay, well that's too shitty for me to show anybody. Uh, but you can't do it while you're doing it. You can't say that line is not paint enough of a beautiful, uh, Springsteen esque picture. Uh, that's not, you're just not going to write anything if you try, if, if you're well, that, And that's where I am. I'm, I'm just paralyzed a lot, but I do have to um, give you credit because I do believe in 39 episodes, that's the first quote of Voltaire that we've ever had. So very good for you. <laughs> so Mark does another podcast, you know, he, he does a philosophy podcast called the partially okay. examined life, which is a great, great podcast. So this is the, these, this is the end of this, the story here. So, well, I, I had, I had retired basically in, in 2005, then I got, the, I, I lucked into this band with a friend of mine, you know, which was another, which was a singer songwriter thing. So neither of us was going to quit. At least I, at least for a long time, <laughs> nobody quit because we both had stake in the band. The drummer could come or go, but we knew like we could train up another drummer in five minutes. And if we got a Dave drummer, we could definitely, you know, Dave could have done it with one rehearsal. Uh, and, and that's the kind of caliber of, of people we're trying to find at least, um, and that's because this, so the, and that's, you know, was the ongoing story of, 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 uh, of Madison Lynch and other, it was, it was working with these great people, but they are involved with bands like yours, Paul, that are much tighter and much more serious and make a lot more money. And so like I, you know, the bass player we had before, uh, you joined Dave was a professional level, super, uh, awesome bass player, but he was just like, if I get a paying gig, then I can't make your gig. Mm. <laughs> so like, I, I, he came at, you know, he, so he played, you know, one song on the album or something. He came back and did some studio stuff, but uh, that was not something that I was comfortable living with. Um, at least at that, at that point. Um, so as, as a, as an old person now, as a, as a over 40 person, I feel like I want to, you know, be with people that, that it's just, that it's their thing that they do for fun retirement. Uh, you know, that there's, there's not retirement, but you know, we're not trying to make it anymore. Right. Um, although the, so the crazy thing though, is that there's so many more opportunities now in terms of promoting yourself. Uh, you know, I, I was churning out an album every couple of years that were just going on cassettes that would live in my house. Has, but anything, now I can, has anything, uh, interesting ever happened with one of your tunes? Has it ever made it to, you know, has, has anybody ever purchased or licensed one of your tunes from you to use no. somewhere or anything? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, but so the, the thing with the, this other podcast, I started while I was in new people, this, uh, uh, the partially examined life. And now it's, 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 it's pretty huge by our stand. And even when it was starting, like I was like, I'm going to, at the end of every single episode, put a full song of mine, put right. like one of my old recordings on it. And the fact that I could get several thousand people to listen to that, like how much better is that than who would ever buy any of my albums ever? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I've just found, you know, sharing. So I have no idea. I don't keep track of number of downloads for all the crap that I put on the web. Um, so marklint.com is, you know, you can hear just about everything I've recorded recently, but so I've kept doing that. And now we've, the, that podcast has been around for, uh, over six years. I'm starting to run low, <laughs> but, uh, so that actually got me in the past couple years. Well, first of all, it got me to, to, to finish more stuff so that, um, you know, the Madison Lint album, you know, 2000 to 2004, that band, that's never been released in full. There's still a few, a few tracks on that that I have yet to finish my parts on. 
uh, you know, that, that happened when, when everybody else quit, luckily new people was a coherent unit, but then, you know, I've had all these other just solo recordings that I've done here and there. So, you know, I've got a few albums worth of stuff. Uh, there was actually another album I recorded in Austin, uh, with, with, a with a guy, Mark DeRoba, that was the, during the spring that I was kind of waiting to move away. I just, I had another 15 songs or so and got this lead guitarist to, to lay down tracks for all of them. That album is still not released yet. <laughs> it's, uh, but, but having this podcast, you know, with an every three week deadline of like, I got to have some new song, yeah. hopefully related in some way to what's on there. And the thing that I always liked best about almost more satisfying than playing a gig because most of my gigs, frankly, were pretty shitty. You know, we're like for small houses. I never with any of my bands have gotten, we're playing like the Saturday night at the most awesome place in town. I've never been that successful. Uh, so even though I've enjoyed, I enjoy playing live uh, as long as the situation is good, as long as I'm not playing a 1am on a Tuesday and trying to beg people to come out, like I'm not doing that crap anymore. So with new people, we actually turned it into a school play model huh. of gigs <laughs> where like, <laughs> we're going to play once every three months, yeah. but we're going to have pretty much a whole new set and we're going to play like a, a, a pizza place that maybe doesn't have a built in crowd, but we could play it a Saturday night and we can control everything about the show yeah. and we can pack that freaking place full because it's a small room. Uh, and though, you know, I enjoyed every single one of those gigs. Um, you know, as long as my monitor sounds good and there are a few appreciative people, uh, <laughs> then I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I would still be happy, you know, doing that on a more regular basis. I just, uh, well, that's, you know, if that's you don't have somebody in a band that's going to stand up and do it, that's going to stand up and book the shows. That's what we've been doing with our fling fests. And, yeah. uh, and more and more, you know, we're in, introducing more and more of our originals into those. And, and I w- wouldn't surprise me if for the next one, it was, you know, at least 50, 50, because people are coming out to oh. see us, you know, well, fling, it's interesting because fling, when I joined, it was probably a 60, 40 originals, uh, original heavy band. And then, you know, as always happens, okay, well now that's great for, you know, we could do a set and a half at 60, 40, but if we need to do three sets, well, right. then it's, it's going to be, you know, 40, 60. And then as it's easier to just play, you know, as the gigs expand, it's like, well, you know, you wind up doing some gigs where there's no originals. And, uh, and that's a habit that we've actually been consciously breaking, but doing it in a way where we're actually retaining our crowd and, and perhaps even, you know, getting our hooks into them even more. Right. Because it, now there's these songs that they can only hear us play. And we've actually got people requesting originals at our gigs now, which is cool. Well, that is the way that I've been advised, (laughs) you know, from the start, like, Oh, you can't go out and just play originals. You have to play covers and build a following and then play original. Like I was never going to, that's too much effort. It's a lot of work. Yeah. What, What are those guys? I mean, so the guys that write in your, in fling, like is I take it then writing is not their main thing. Um, otherwise they wouldn't have been happy about that. Or were, are they not happy? No, they, they, we all enjoy playing live. Um, everybody has, you know, we, we all come into it with different, uh, wants and desires, but, but there's, there's several things we all enjoy. And, and one of them is simply just playing music together. Specifically, mm-hmm. we really enjoy singing harmonies together. Um, so there's, you know, in any one gig, there's, there's enough to kind of check uh, enough boxes for each person, but, um, but there's, I mean, we've got two, well, three really serious songwriters in fling. And I mean, you know, I, I would put them on, on your caliber 
in terms oh, of the amount of okay. the type of stuff they can write. Oh yeah, if we were twenty years younger, the songs that these guys write could be you know huge hits, but but we're not, and and that's okay, you know. But that but it's good, good, well crafted songs. Um, well, and it sounds like you got you, you know you got a sort of enough pressure among the group to keep you guys active. Yeah. It's not just that's one right. guy driving everything or, you know, cause that's just, you, you burn out too fast or you get people with this mercenary attitude of, uh, you know, I'll show up to your gig if nothing better comes right. along yeah. that night. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, Fling was not built to be a gigging band. It was, it was just mm. people getting together and, and learning songs and writing songs and crafting songs. And then one day, you know, we'd play a backyard barbecue here or, a, you know, a whatever, a, a event there. But it was, you know, I was playing in a different band, satisfying my need to play out. And I think that that was sort of what drove the other guys. They're like, wait a minute, you do this all the time. I'm like, yeah. Like, would you mind doing that all the time with us? I'm like, no. You know, and, and so it was, I think the cover thing was was, well, let's replicate what's what Dave's able to do with these other bands so that we can go and just do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was in at that point, it was like, okay, well the originals sort of became less of a priority, but they're coming back, which is good, which is good. So. No, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. so I guess the last chapter since we're almost uh, out of time, but and, uh, I've been going through my whole career here is that, you know, since that band uh, blew up in uh, at the end of uh, 2013, right after we had, put a whole new lineup together. So we had five pieces at that point, but the other main songwriter quit. And then, uh, you know, the other guys involved were not, were not ready to, they had signed up for the Beatles. They didn't want wings. Is the right. Like, right. Wait, so half the songs that we learned, they're gone. Like the harmonies that the band was based on, those are gone now. Like, uh, uh so, you know, I had maybe one of those guys was willing to keep playing with me immediately. And the others were like, well, you know, pretty much if you have something ready to play, maybe I'll do it. Uh, but that, that's, you know, I kind of, I, I compare it to, to, uh, if you're not a songwriter and kind of feel the need to do this on a daily basis, like I, I, you know, I need to have, I just, I can't just go give my time to a band that's not going to play any of my songs. Like I just, right. I wouldn't be happy with that as a long-term thing. I know no, that would drive would you crazy. Fun. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're not coming from that perspective, I completely see that it's like if you're playing, uh, athletics and you want to join a league. Well, you're not going to join a league if they don't have like a field and other teams. Right. So, so that they could do it on a consistent basis. They're not going to just get together every week and practice to then lead to what? Like maybe we'll have a gig every three months or something. <laughs> like that is, that is a hard sell for anybody. So it's been very hard to me, uh, for me, you know, and, and I, you know, I know even when I was playing with you, like you were not, the playing live was much more of a priority for you than the studio stuff. Yes. Uh, and I've definitely played with a lot of, you know, players since then. Like I can kind of trick them into coming into the studio with me. Like, Oh, we're yeah. making, we're getting some I, new songs. down. I, I enjoy <laughs> the studio when I'm, when I'm in it, but the, the whole effort of making it happen is, uh, it's just, well, it's more, more work than, than I will ever naturally choose to do. But <laughs> right. But once I'm there, I, I love actually really love it. I mean, there's there's a lot of very, very fun things that can happen in the studio. It's just so darn time consuming. Well, now so. smaller now that you don't have to release a whole album that you could just release a single. You could release. I know this always been the case, but really, yeah, you're going to put even, together a CD single in the 90s. Like, no, just, you're not going to bother to do that. Yeah. Uh, but even just just, you know, crafting a part. I mean, I don't want to do it 
you know, half-heartedly. I want to make sure it's right. Sure. And so it's like, oh yeah, if we play live, I just play the song once and then I beat myself up about what I did wrong and I try to get it better, you know, the next night or the next weekend or whatever. But otherwise it's like, oh yeah, I gotta, okay, I gotta sit back down and we're gonna, we gotta get it right, you know? So, well, yeah, that that's might be another like perfect enemy of the good thing. Like I, yeah. I just try just to get, a nice recording down. And uh, I love the fact that now in the digital world, I can fix things like crazy. So, so my recent thing since, since that band dissolved is I, I, I played around, uh, I, you know, I got together with a violinist and we played a a show together. Uh, I probably, that will be the next thing I do is, is some kind of acoustic thing. uh, uh, But I've, I've been trying to force myself with the studio stuff just to finish things Right. Uh, and so I have an album that's in mastering right now, a, a uh, songs from the partially examined life. So I get to cross cross promote it with the, with the podcast uh, that will be out before Christmas um, of, of, you know, 17 songs uh, of the best things that I've recorded in the last while. And it's just, uh, uh, and I, and I started uh, playing with people over the internet. So that's been the thing that, you know, since we have a podcast audience, you have a podcast audience now, Paul, so you should, you should draft people that you don't even know and say, Hey man, so I'll, I'll play bass on a song of yours. If you want, if you, if you <laughs> cool. send uh, me the FTP, me the thing, I will happily uh, contribute something to it. Um, and that's just, you know, it's a great way to connect with people. And uh, if you don't like what they do, you can get rid of three fourths of it or, or quantize it or <laughs> <laughs> screw around with it as much as you want. It's not as good as being a producer in the room with them and saying, Dave, that note was out of tune. Do that three yeah. more times. Yeah. Uh, but that sucks, you know, man. That, that was you got really, auto tune. Now you can fix it. Uh, yeah. I, I know it's still, it was a humbling moment. It's like, how does he even, God dang it. But you know, so that's, part, that's half of the musical life. But the other half is what you guys talk about every week. And uh, you know, I wish I was back doing that more often. I do. I do miss that quite a bit. And you do. Even, I, I was even wondering, just, you know, cause it clearly you're addicted to songwriting and, and I'd say addicted in a very mm-hmm. good way. Um, in the same way that, you know, Paul and I are certainly addicted to playing uh, in front of people. But uh, I was curious. You, so you do miss that. Well, that, that's I good. do. I really like the the theatrics of being in front of people. And as long as, you know, as long as, uh, again, it's a, it's a good environment. Yeah. Uh, and I wish as an original band, I could have the high standards that you talk about of, uh, you know, don't accept a, a gig at any, any place that's going to pay you less than a hundred dollars a man. Like, <laughs> are we hearing that as an original band? Like, that's hilarious. Like, uh, <laughs> I guess the fling, the fling formula is maybe the way to go. Well, I'll, I'll keep you posted. That's, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah. Any more questions, Paul, before we uh, let Mark move on with his life for the evening? No, I'm good. This has been really, really fascinating. Thanks for everything, Mark. Yeah. Thanks for joining uh, thanks us. Thanks to man. both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for both of you for doing this. Really, really enjoyed listening to you. Yep. And uh, if you want to find Mark, he's at marklint.com. We are at giggabpodcast.com. And of course, feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where you can send in all of your stuff. Folks, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya.